Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today's Monday, September 28th. Stocks are up, college enrollment is down, and we're focused on President Trump's taxes. As you've almost certainly heard by now, the New York Times got its hands on what it says are 15 years or so of President Trump's personal and business tax information. The headline takeaway is that he reportedly paid just $750 in 2016 and 2017 and $0 in 10 of those 15 years. We also learned that he's got upwards of $400 million in loans from unidentified lenders, most of which would come due during a second term, thus raising the specter of all sorts of possible conflicts of interest. And just to exacerbate Trump's situation a little bit more, he continues to haggle with the IRS over a $70 million-plus refund that he claimed, which is the apparent source of his ongoing audit. Now, President Trump is calling the New York Times report fake news, and one of his attorneys told the Times that the president has paid millions of dollars in taxes. Two notes. First, Trump could just clear all this up by releasing his tax returns, which he is legally able to do despite being audited. Two, Trump's attorney did not specify what types of taxes constitute those millions in payments. The Times reporting is specifically about federal income tax payments, not state taxes or payroll taxes or social security taxes. The bottom line, expect the president's personal tax record to become a major issue during tomorrow night's presidential debate. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Francine McKenna, an independent financial journalist and certified public accountant. We'll talk about how real estate developers are taxed differently than you or I, and what she still wants to learn about Trump's finances. But first, this. We're joined now by Francine McKenna, an independent financial journalist and adjunct professor at American University. When you first read the New York Times report last night, your top takeaway was what? Well, I was really glad to see the confirmation of what he's been in this audit dispute for over the last several years in looking at what that was all about. Trump's talked about that audit going back to the 2016 campaign, so over four years now. Does it surprise you that a refund would still be getting litigated for that long? No, no, not at all. So if you look at like any of the big tax avoidance cases, like against the big corporations like Amazon or Starbucks or whatever, and the IRS decides to look at this stuff, it's in litigation forever and ever and ever. There's obviously a lot in this time story and a lot of explanations for how he gets to either zero or $750 per year in taxes. But a big part of this would seem to be at least the fact that the way real estate developers earn money and pay taxes is different than how the average American earns money and pays taxes. Can you give the layman's explanation of kind of depreciation when it comes to somebody like Trump on his real estate? Sure. So there's a lot of advantages for real estate developers and real estate investors in the tax code, and in particular developers. And he sort of got the double whammy in terms of opportunity to have huge expenses that reduced his income. One is depreciation. And that's an expense that companies, in particular real estate companies, can use to reduce taxes. They also use it to reduce their income on regular reported financial statements. So that's why you see terms like EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Because companies who want to show higher earnings, they want to add them back in. 
companies that want to show lower earnings to pay lower taxes, they take them out, right? But it's not cash. So it's a really nice little loophole that real estate has from a tax perspective. And Trump obviously coming into office could argue convincingly that all these loopholes that he benefited from were put in by other people, other politicians over the years. I'm curious though, with the 2017 tax bill, which he was obviously integral in, were any of them closed? Oh, there was an enormous, enormous amount of things that were beneficial to Trump. The 10 new tax law was very, very good to Trump. He gets an additional 20% deduction for all his income, including real property income, income from you know, real estate stuff. If it comes either directly to him or it comes through a pass-through, like all of his hundreds and hundreds of LLCs and shell companies, that was a huge thing that a lot of people wanted and that they got into the tax code, and it's very beneficial for him. But he got a whole bunch of other benefits in the tax law that are not just for real estate investors, movie producers, lots of other people. If you know anybody else in the administration is a movie producer. Lots of other benefits for people who do this kind of heavy capital investing. Obviously, Francis, you're referring to Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, and that outside of kind of the basic real estate developer piece of this, was there something you read or learned about in the Times related to Trump's taxes that, from your perspective, is either notable or possibly problematic? Well, I think a lot of people are talking about these consulting fees to his daughter. And that was not surprising to me at all. I would have been surprised if we didn't see stuff like that. Can I ask about that? Because the consulting fee, it seems that at least the criticism would be that Ivanka Trump was an employee, an executive of the Trump organization and is also getting paid a consulting fee by the Trump organization. So what? Well, the so what would be you're not a consultant, you're an executive. No, private companies can do whatever they want. This is a family owned company. You have all kinds of, you know, people, they might be executives or they might be employees of the company of a family-owned company. And then they have all kinds of other side businesses and side situations and other investments. And clearly this family has all kinds of things going on. And so either that was a way to pay her more and maybe not pay the sons and not have it be obvious, or it may be because of what some people are saying that If she gets paid a consulting fee, then she doesn't get all the payroll taxes and all of that other stuff taken out. And then she can deal with that on her own tax return and maybe even have the same deals like her father does, where she can offset that income with other losses on her share of real estate investments. So lots of different reasons why it's done, but I'm not surprised at all it's done. And in private companies, you can do whatever you want with your money. The New York Times obviously has not released the actual documents themselves, the primary source material. They say they're not doing so because they want to protect their sources. From your perspective, do you want to see them? Absolutely. And I think that when you have this kind of data-driven journalism that's so important to have experts looking at it, there are people who know this stuff cold. If they looked at the returns, in particular, if they have the complete returns with all the schedules, they would see a lot more. They would also maybe be able to tamp down a little bit of the hype about what's normal and what's not normal for someone who's been in this business. There's kind of the big takeaway, layman's takeaway on this. The, this proves Trump is a bad business person. Some people who defend him say this proves he's a good business person because he's figured out basically how to get around all the taxes that other people would have to pay. Do you come down to determination one way or the other based on the Times story? I think that that's the unfortunate narrative that the New York Times is pushing that does a disservice to the reader. And that is tax losses are not the same as financial losses and definitely not the same as cash. And so 
unless they're going to reconcile the tax with his actual cash and financial, that they're not really telling the true story of whether or not these properties did or didn't make a profit from a cash flow perspective, and also from a financial perspective in terms of whether or not banks should have lent against them. That's why I think that the actual data needs to be posted like some of the other consortiums who've done this kind of data journalism have done. They put the data out there and they let kind of crowdsource group analysis of it. Nobody loses anything. There's enough here for everybody. And of course, it should probably be pointed out that President Trump himself could obviously release this data for the same reasons. Sure. He could say they either have legitimate or illegitimate sources of it. Although I think what they have, because they keep using the term data, I think they have transcripts from these various legal disputes, or they have some other kinds of data that maybe the tax preparers or the IRS has available. What it doesn't seem to me is that they don't have actual copies of tax returns. They never actually say that, and they never actually said that, except for when they had those couple of pages back in 2017. So having data is not the same as seeing the complete package each year and really looking at how everything flows from his business to his personal return. Francine McKenna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a mega merger in the energy sector. With Devon Energy agreeing to buy fellow fracking company WPX for nearly $2.6 billion in stock. Now, both of these companies are operating from positions of weakness, with their share prices down more than 60% year to date as supply has far outpaced demand. Part of that's due to the pandemic. We drive less, we fly less, etc. But it was also in play a bit before the pandemic. And none of that includes Joe Biden's pledge that if elected, he'd ban new fracking on federal lands, something that could be particularly problematic for Devon. The bottom line, expect much more energy sector consolidation in the months ahead. Today, we are also watching to see what, if anything, President Trump says about TikTok. Last night, the White House was temporarily blocked by a federal judge from banning the app from U.S. app stores. The ban had been set to take effect at midnight last night, but TikTok had asked for an emergency injunction. The judge who made the decision, by the way, was appointed by President Trump. And finally today, we are watching a pending bloodbath in the energy sector, whose original set of CARES Act bailouts are set to expire this Wednesday. If new money isn't promised by Congress before Thursday, both major and minor carriers are promising what could amount to tens of thousands of layoffs and furloughs. The silver lining, if you can call it that, is that hard deadlines like this, this Thursday deadline, seem to be among the only things that can get Congress to act. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Strawberry Cream Pie Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.